Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. A few verses before our reading, Jesus has told the crowd the light will only be with them a little while longer and to put their trust in the light. Let us attend to the scriptures from John 12, verses 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. And on the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment, his eternal life, what I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. The word of the Lord. Last week, I began a two-part sermon series on the mission statement for our church. It was 12 years ago that the officers of this congregation approved a statement in which we agreed to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love. I mentioned that morning how it's helpful for us to stop on occasion and be reminded of those words, not considering that we should change them, for I think they are still powerful and valid for us, but rather to be clear about what is embodied in that statement. And so we began last week in this journey for a couple of reasons. 400 people have joined our congregation since that statement was approved. And so they were not part of this conversation when we adopted that, those words. Even for those who were part of the congregation 12 years ago, it's helpful to have times of being reminded of what's contained in that message too. And so we began last week with the opening phrase, be a bridge for Christ, and focus mostly internally on how it is that we have sought to live out those words in making connections with one another and with God. Today, we turn to the concluding phrase, be a beacon of his love. And mostly, we'll consider how it is our actions are reflected outside these walls. Now, as is true of the first part of the statement, so does the concluding words draw from a significant architectural feature of our church, namely our steeple, which is a kind of beacon 
to the world around us. You can see the steeple of our church from virtually any direction as you're coming into the borough, either north or south on 611, traveling east on business route 202, and as coming up North Broad Street. It is there on the horizon. And sometimes you can see next to it the old Bucks County Courthouse, a reminder to us without a word of our need for law and for grace. And we have a spotlight on the steeple so that that witness can continue even when it's dark. We discovered last week that the word bridge never appears in the Bible. And the word beacon only marginally better as it occurs only one time, in one verse, and only in the King James Version of that text. And it comes when God says to the Israelites, at the rebuke of five, ye shall offer till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill even though the word itself does not appear frequently in Scripture. It is from the New Testament in particular we gain insight into what it means to be a beacon of his love, namely of Jesus' love. We gain further insight in his words to us today. As Jesus says to the crowd, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees in him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. He goes on to say that his task was not to judge people for not keeping his words, but rather to save people. I have not spoken on my own, he said, but the Father who sent me has given him himself has given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. If you were following along in the Pew Bible as the text was being read a moment ago, you might have noticed the heading over our passage that says this is the summary of Jesus' teaching. And what's being pointed out there is that this is the last moment in John's gospel that Jesus is speaking to the crowd before the time of his arrest and the events that follow. For after this moment, everything that is found in those pages is direct to the disciples themselves. And so on this day, as we consider what it means to be a beacon of his love and to look back on what has happened in the 12 years since, adopting those words, we're going to focus on his last public words, in particular when he speaks of how he is, was sent to be a light to the world. Now, since the Bible doesn't give us much information about literal beacons, I went looking online, and I found three different descriptions A beacon is a fire that can be seen from a distance. It is a tower with light that gives warning of shoals to passing ships. 
And it is a radio station that broadcasts a directional signal for navigational purposes. I want to draw on those larger meanings of the word and consider some of what I have witnessed in our congregation during the last 12 years and want to focus these comments on three different areas that we have lived out those words. In our worship life, in our engagement with social justice matters, and in our actions of mission. We started our live stream here just a couple of years before the pandemic. And it was very rudimentary in those days. It was not a very high quality camera. Mostly it was to help people who couldn't be here for those occasional reasons to watch it from wherever they were. Some have described the, the broadcast in that time as being the equivalent of looking at security camera footage. <laughs> and I think that's pretty accurate. And in 2019, the last year before the pandemic, we had an average of about 30 people who would watch on a particular Sunday. That experience, though, enabled us to pivot quickly when word came down that not all non-essential businesses had to be closed. For in a matter of days, my faithful team was ready for us to be able to have worship online. And in those days, since we couldn't gather in the sanctuary, that meant that the sermon and scripture readings were pre-recorded, that the musical offerings were recorded off-site too, as was the children's message. Bit by bit, though, we were able to add to that experience as we purchased two new cameras much higher quality. We added these microphones that you can barely see that hang from the ceiling over the chancel, which makes sure that those watching, watching online can fully hear the musical gifts that are being offered up here. We included the liturgy on the screen and a QR code as well, so that people, wherever they were, could participate fully in our worship life. And those gifts bore fruit. In the early days of the pandemic, when we were trying to think of all kinds of ways we could literally see each other, we had a period of time where we had sort of a sermon talkback opportunity where people could log in after that day service had been broadcast and discuss the sermon. And one Sunday, there was a Presbyterian from Oregon who joined us. Her own congregation had not yet started online services, and she had heard about us from someone in this community. In the months that have followed, as best we can tell, our worship service has been seen on four continents and at least ten states, including my brother-in-law and his wife, who every Sunday sit in their family room in the Phoenix suburb to join us. Just before Christmas, Lori and I were walking in the borough, and we ran into some longtime members of DPC who introduced us to a friend of theirs from 50 years ago. And we began talking, and the woman who lives in Connecticut told me that every week 
she listens to our sermon podcast, and that that was part of what helped her get through the pandemic. In 2022, our average worship attendance in this room on two services was 247. The average number joining us online, 246. We have borne witness to the beacon of Jesus' love, too, as we've been engaged in some of the most difficult issues that have faced our culture over that period of time. It was four years after the statement had been approved that our session began discussing same-gender marriage. It wasn't an academic conversation. In March of 2015, the constitution of our denomination was changed that would allow for but not require a pastor to officiate and would permit but not force a session to approve a wedding request on site. In that summer of 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that same-gender marriage was legal throughout the country. And so that fall, our session began some focused conversation and reflection. We studied scripture and church tradition. We listened to one another and to fellow members. And at the end of that, we concluded that there would be one restriction for approving of weddings here. And it's the same one that was already in place, namely, that one in the party had to be a member of our congregation, but that it would not be restricted in terms of gender. It was just before the pandemic, too, that our session approved our becoming a Matthew 25 congregation. That designation arises from that same chapter in the Gospels when Jesus says, just as you've cared for the least of these who are members of my family, you have cared for me. And so after a time of considering what our particular focus might be, we decided that as a congregation, we would deal with the whole issue of racism as it continues to plague human hearts and systems in our country, in particular with its intersection of poverty. And so in the months that have followed, our Matthew 25 team has led us in that journey and there have been some wonderful discoveries and there have been some painful discoveries. As we've unfolded more about our own history as a congregation, as it relates to race, we've considered things that each of us are equipped to do to be part of the solution, and we started this wonderful relationship with Second Baptist Church of Doylestown, a congregation far more integrated than our own. And one Sunday in November, we canceled this service and joined our friends in their sanctuary on Swamp Road. And, and the joy and hospitality that was part of that event is something I will never forget. And in April, we will be hosting the congregation here. Now, I will tell you that those decisions by session about same gender, marriage and about Matthew 25 were not universally praised by our members. That really is no surprise. 
for it brought us into the midst of some of the most challenging issues that face us as a people, and yet I firmly support both of those decisions that your officers made, believing that it does allow us still to be a beacon of his love. And there was always the things that we did of living out that call that responded to the most basic of human needs. It was the year after that statement was approved that we hosted our first Code Blue shelter, which allows our homeless neighbors to get off the street when the temperature falls below a certain level. We have been the host site every February since, except for when the times when COVID-19 did not permit us to do so, and even then, we open our showers to those neighbors. In that same year, we built the Hope Garden in Gallup, New Mexico, one of the most food-challenged counties in our country. And twice annually ever since, we have sent back work teams. And it was in that same year that we set aside money for 10-year scholarships for four students at Hunting Park Christian Academy in Philadelphia to help them navigate that educational process while living in a challenging part of the city. In those years since, we began our monthly community meal to help our neighbors gather with us, those who are facing local challenges of food or loneliness. When the pandemic stopped allowing that to happen inside, we made it a drive-through experience. And we have continually each month gathered food to support a local food pantry. As a community of faith, we have become part of the Feed My Starving Children packing event that happens every October at Delaware Valley University. 125 of our number have been part of that occasion of assembling nutritious food that goes to help children in 70 countries of the world. As people of faith, we sponsored a young mother and her son from Eritrea as they left a refugee camp to come and settle here. We have been involved in providing the money and the people to build three Habitat for Humanity homes in this community. And each year on Christmas Eve, we have set aside our offering at those services to go in relief efforts for those who have experienced some kind of natural disaster. And in the bulletin today, you're given the information about how you can do that now in response to that horrific earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. In all those ways and more, we have sought to be a beacon of his love. And while I'm confident that there have been all kinds of ways those blessings have changed or helped the lives of others, every now and then I get a clear word about it. The first week after we hosted Code Blue, I received this letter that said, in part, 
I'm a resident of Doylestown and have worked with homeless persons for the past 20 years. I recently sent someone to your church facility for Code Blue. The person called me, and he was the happiest I have seen him in years. He told me your facility for allowing the homeless to come out of the cold is exceptional. He said the volunteers were very friendly and went out of their way to accommodate him. He said the food was excellent, and he was even allowed to have seconds. He said he was able to shower, and above all, he felt safe. He also said it was the safest he has felt in his 30 years of being homeless. One of my favorite sayings, he concluded, is preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Your volunteers have certainly been living up to that ideal. While clearly a gratifying kind of message to hear in response, I offer it to you as well on this day as a sharp contrast to another beacon of more recent vintage and the response to it about 85 miles from here. Some of you probably heard the news of how two Sundays ago, the lights on the Empire State Building in Manhattan were changed to green and white. That shift did not reflect loyalty to one of the professional football teams in the city, the Jets, but rather recognized the Eagles had marked their ticket for the Super Bowl. It did not go over well in Manhattan. <laughs> An article I found written by a New York Times uh, journalist put it this way. To many, seeing Philadelphia's triumph smashed into the faces of New Yorkers on their own turf violated a cardinal rule of sports fandom. If you can't be happy about your own team, you can at least root for the misfortune of your rivals. <laughs> the journalist went on to cite a couple comments that had been made. Apparently, the New York City Sanitation Department issued, maybe on social media, word that called the, the change in the lights, quote, treacherous, traitorous, and unforgivable. A city council member deemed it absolutely ridiculous and a Giants player, the other team in the city, tweeted, let me close these blinds. <laughs> Apparently, the building often changes its colors to mark particular national or world events. Last month, for instance, they were red, black, and green for Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. They glowed red later for the Lunar New Year and later still yellow to commemorate the Holocaust victims. They had been blue to honor the Giants two weeks earlier, but that did not appease the fans. After four, four hours of harsh comments on social media, the light switched to red for the Kansas City Chiefs who faced the Eagles later today. And the journalist writing this article concluded, at long last, the nightmare was over, while the building's Twitter account simply said, that hurt us more than it hurt you. Our beacon has been at it much longer, and we continue in that 
commitments because we have committed our life to the one who came into this world to be the light for all creation. Which is why on this day, we commit ourselves once again to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love on this day and for years to come. Let us pray. Lead us, Lord. Lead us in your righteousness. Make your way plain before our face. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.